Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am so excited to have this conversation today with my friend, Nikki Kenzer, who is also a fabulous, brilliant educator and podcaster and certified ADHD coach. And um, she specializes in adults and college students with ADHD and so brings a ton of wisdom. And Nikki is also the co-host of a spectacular podcast, Taking Control, the ADHD podcast with Pete Wright. And so she has, like me, has like interviewed everybody in the realm of, of ADHD. And so she's got this wealth of knowledge um, from her own experience as well as those she's interviewed. And so I'm thrilled to have this conversation. We're going to get frustrated because we're going to want more and we're not going to have time. So just set in the expectation. Nikki, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here. And I'm so glad to step into this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you today. Is it fun to be on the other side of the microphone? It is. And it's a little, I have to be honest, I'm like a little nervous. Uh (laughs) I have these little butterflies in my stomach. Yeah. Well, let's let's play with your butterflies and make them go away. Okay. That's right. Okay. Okay. So let's start by just tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do with families. And, you Mm -hmm. know, we're here, our podcast is focused on parents. You work with young adults a lot. Mm-hmm. So what is tell us about the work you do with families with complex kids and how you came to be doing this. Yes. Well, so as I said in my bio, I work with adults with ADHD and also college students with ADHD. And, uh, you know, families are a part of that, you know, uh, yeah. because definitely I work with a wide range of different people. And I have a lot of parents, I have a lot of fathers and mothers, and uh, they can either have ADHD or their kids have ADHD or in a lot of circumstances, everyone in the family. Everybody. Has ADHD. It's a family affair. <laughs> Yeah, except for maybe one person, and that might be the dog who has anxiety. I mean, you know, so... That's uh, my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My like, dog's really on Prozac, I swear. I'm not I kidding know. you. Mine is too, I swear to God. He he just never knows where to go to the bathroom. It's like, it's okay, uh-huh. just choose. <laughs> You're going to be fine. Um, and then, of course, I work with uh, college students who, you know, for the most part, they're the younger college students. They're just launching out from mom and dad, and they're 18, 19 years old just starting out on their own. And so there's a lot of conversations with the students and with the parents at the beginning part, for sure. Yeah, setting the stage. So how did you get to be doing this work? Why this? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, back in 2008, I was reading a, a newspaper article in our local paper, and it was about a professional organizer. And when the local paper went to do a search on professional organizers in my hometown, they couldn't find anyone. They didn't wow. have them here. And I I had never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I never thought of myself as a professional organizer. But something just sort of tugged at me like, hmm, I wonder if I could do this on a part-time basis, still be with my kids and because they were quite young at the time and uh, see what would evolve. And so oh. I started doing professional organizing and that's when I started working with Pete, who is my co-host. We've He's been with me since day one and did professional organizing for a couple of years, about probably two or three years. But this is what I found, probably no surprise, is that many of my clients had ADHD. Mm, and, shocker. Yeah. And I realized very quickly that they needed something different and they needed a different way to look at organization. Uh, they needed to, you know, probably stop comparing themselves to what they were seeing in magazines and shows, mm -hmm. because especially during that time, there were a lot of like organizing shows on HGTV and Oprah had Nate on all the time. <laughs> so okay. there were a lot of like, you know, high expectations. But there was a couple of clients who had ADHD that really inspired me to go into coaching. And so I just decided to kind of switch the business from organizing to ADHD coaching. And that's when I went back and got my certification and got all my education and went from there. So what was different when you shifted from organizing to coaching? Because I think that's, I've met a lot of ADHD coaches who started off as organizers. So I mm -hmm. think that's not an uncommon path. What's the difference? Like what did coaching call you to do differently? It was more of the relationship piece. And I think it was also more of a partnership. So when I would go in and help people with their homes it was fun. I mean, it was really a, a fun physical thing to do because, you know, you're up and, and you're creating ideas and it was, it was a fun thing to do. But when I started doing the coaching, there was a real partnership where it felt like, okay, what, what are we working towards? What are your goals? What, what are your challenges? And how do we see ADHD in you? You know, where is that, where is that falling for you? And how, can we build a structure that would help you with your ADHD and not fighting against it? So it was a very different type of relationship. And I just thrived in it. I loved it. I loved being able to see my clients have these successes that they weren't, you know, really feeling before, or they weren't recognizing. They were doing them, but they weren't recognizing them. So just having somebody else say, hey, wait a minute, you know, you did check your planner. <laughs> you actually, what you're doing is working. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, or maybe you didn't do a planner, but you have a whole nother system that's working, right? I've, I've found that a lot. A lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, um, but that's the thing is it was just, it became more of a partnership. It was, um, it was just, I really enjoy the work I do. I, I, I can't, yeah, I just can't it. imagine doing anything else. So I think that's a great segue. Let's see, because one of the things I want to talk about is what do you want parents to know to better understand about their kids, right? What are they missing? And what you just said is so important, which is sometimes what they're doing is working, but it's not what we think it sh they should be doing. Right, right, right. Should in quotes. Right. So that's kind of what I took from what you said. But what do you think parents really could benefit from understanding a little better? Well, I'll tell you, Elaine, I asked my daughter this question. 
Oh, <laughs> because I love that. She was diagnosed with ADHD in um, February of 2020, right before COVID. And when Good I was- Good time to have that information. Yes. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, for sure. But when I was thinking about our interview, I wanted to ask her some questions because I wanted to know that from her. What, what would you want parents to know? Because she had- she really had the benefit of having a parent mm-hmm. who knows a lot about ADHD. And yeah. so when I gave her a planner in December, the first thing I said is, let me help you figure out how to work this. If it doesn't work, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we will find something else. So for me, it was really important to let her know that it wasn't her fault, that this wasn't maybe working for her, that it wasn't something that she was doing wrong, that it just may not be the right thing. But let's start here. Let's just start here and see how it how it works for you. And then we'll go from there. So there was this like kind of acceptance already that I think is really important for parents to have is that if you give them something, don't just... Don't put the pressure on them to make it work, right? Yeah. Because that's that it, it may not. But well, when just playing on that a little bit, because this ties in very much to something we talk about, which is start with the assumption this system's not going to work, mm-hmm. or it's not going to work right the first time, mm-hmm. and that you're going to have to rinse and repeat and tweak and figure out how to make it work, or decide this isn't the right system and we need to try something else. And yeah. so often parents will say, "Well, I tried this and they didn't. It didn't work, or I gave them this and they wouldn't use it." Mm-hmm. And what you're speaking to is that any system is only as good as the collaboration to help someone learn to use it and make sure it's the right system. Absolutely. Well, and something that she said was very insightful when I asked her the question, what would you what would you tell somebody that was just first diagnosed? And it, and it did get into that question of parents. And she said, I think it's important for parents to understand that kids, especially with school, we're not trying to do bad. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of getting mad, she said, I would hope that people would really look at it from their point of view and understand that their learning is different from other people. Mm-hmm. And so, wise soul. Oh, wise she soul. is. She is. Yeah. She's a very wise soul. And, you know, something she said to about telling somebody else that was diagnosed is she said, don't be ashamed. Embrace it. She's like, we're the best people in the world. <laughs> yeah, she has like a, a real optimistic, you know, uh, way of looking at it. And she said, and don't be afraid to ask for people it, or, or for help. She said, don't be afraid to ask for help. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. You know, nothing is wrong with you. And that's one of the things that she found during COVID. And she will definitely find going back into the school system on a, you know, regular basis. She needed to go to office hours. She needed to have conversations with her teachers. She needed to be taught twice because Mm -hmm. it didn't get, you know, she didn't get it the first time and she's aware of it. But she had the ability to not beat herself up for that, to learn it twice, to go that extra mile without saying that means I'm a failure somehow. Yes. But I'll tell you something she said that was really interesting to me is that up until now, she hasn't wanted accommodations. And she will tell me, I don't think I I need them right at this point. And I'll tell you, during COVID, she didn't. Our school system, they did the best they could, but they had very little school. So there was not a lot of pressure, you know, to to get things done. But one of the things that she said is that I am willing to get accommodations uh, when I go back into school, but she doesn't want anybody to know. So there's still that stigma for her. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, she doesn't want other students to know because she's a she is she's afraid that they're going to look at her differently. They're going to think she's, you know, something's wrong with her. So she's very self-aware of how she feels it looks, you know, to other people. And I thought that was a really honest, you know, thing to say because I mean, she's a, a sophomore in high school. So, you know, 50 or That's about the right old. age to yep. not want to be different at all. Right. Exactly. So she's wise, but she's also very much her age. <laughs> you know? well, what I love about that, you know, that's really an important message for parents is we may be wise and right or whatever, but we're still dealing with these like developing humans who are hormonal kids or teenagers or, you know, like we still have to recognize where they are and meet them where they are. Right, right. You know, they're not adults yet. And sometimes we just want them to be faster than they are, mm-hmm. except for in those areas where we don't. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you can stop growing now. <laughs> yeah. Just stay here. You don't have to go longer. out on date, but <laughs> right, I want right. you to behave like a 27-year-old when it comes to organizing your planner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is kind of unfair right. that we do that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of, of wisdom from her. So uh, what I heard was ask for help. Don't be ashamed, but also for parents, be real. They're teenagers or, you know, they're kids and they don't want to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, trust that they're doing their best um, and, and help them accept their brains are wired differently and that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so make it real for us. Nikki, how can a parent begin to, like you have years of experience that before your daughter was diagnosed that Mm -hmm. led you to be able to have some of these conversations. Mm -hmm. What are some pieces that you can, you think might be helpful for parents to begin to relay some of these messages? Because it's easy to say, you know, don't be ashamed or ask for help, but it's easier said than done. Right, right. Well, you know, I would say that probably, especially if the diagnosis, I guess it depends. I'm thinking out loud here. That's you know, okay. Do you have a family that or there is already ADHD in it? Like if you're a parent who has ADHD, that can be really helpful. And I tell my parents who have ADHD that you are really going to relate to your child probably better than anybody else. And so you can be an advocate for your child more so than anybody else, because you're going to understand them. You're going to get them. And again, I think from what Paige was saying, just remember to take a step back and don't get mad, like understand the situation first and see what's happening. And the other thing to what you're saying is that you understand how ADHD shows up for you. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean you know how it shows up for your kid. And so there's a process of learning, well, what is it for them and helping them understand themselves and not saying, well, because because I do it this way, they should do it this way. Oh, right. Yeah. Because that absolutely may not be the case. And if you don't have ADHD, I highly recommend that you educate yourself as much as you can about it and, you know, go to therapy, go to a family therapist to understand um, ADHD, you know, listen to you guys. I recommend your uh, website all the time. You know, here are some great resources for parents. You know, listen, uh, you know, do as much as you can to understand. It will definitely benefit you know, you and your child and, and the relationship, because I know as a, as a mom myself and my kids are teenagers and one is ready to leave the nest, I want that relationship protected. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to always be fighting or, you know, or nagging because, you know, right. 
We can yeah. do that too. Yeah, you, you can, but yeah. it doesn't really help yeah. much. <laughs> right, right. So it's important, I think, to listen and learn as much as you can. But you know, at the same time, we also know that our kids need structure. They need boundaries. They need to be, you know, very clear of what the consequences are. But I think it's more of learning lessons. I try to learn more from it, you know, than just saying, oh, well, you did this. So now you're in trouble. <laughs> so at Impact Parents, we do a lot of work around collaboration and talking mm-hmm. with our kids and building relationship and learning how to have those conversations. And that's that's kind of the subtext of what I'm hearing you saying is that, mm-hmm. you know, stay in relationship. And yes, they need boundaries. And I'm guessing, so talk a little bit about when you're creating boundaries, how do you do that collaboratively with your kids? Because knowing you, I'm guessing that you do. Oh, for sure. Do you remember, (laughs) do you remember there was a Chad conference a couple of years ago and the, the author of, oh, it's escaping me what his name is. Ross Green. Yes. And throughout. He's all about collaborative conversations, which is just what we're all about. Yeah. Yes. And I remember throughout the whole thing, he said, I can't have control, but I can have influence. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have control, but I have influence. And he said that throughout the whole thing. And, and I think that that's true. And I think that as they get older, with teenagers, it is a power struggle. And so we have to, as parents, to really understand what we want, you know, what we want, (laughs) what is important and what's not. Yeah, because your teenager is going to fight you to the end. So the collaboration, yeah. No matter what. No matter matter how good a parent you are, no matter how right you are or or not, they're going to fight you because they're wired to do that. That's their job. Yes, exactly. Right. So what we do, and I can only speak for myself, is that if it gets escalated, we step back because I can't, I know that nobody can problem solve well, right in that situation. And so, so we'll be able to step back. I'm also very fortunate that I have a really good partner. And so if I get really frustrated, my husband can come in. And then when he's really frustrated, I get to come in and I don't know why it works, but it does. And so I'm really lucky. We call it tag team. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and it works. It really I'm, does work. Like tag does. them out. <laughs> yes. Can't do this. I'm going to blow up. Not a good idea. You take yes. over. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, after the fire is out, then I think it's really about sitting down and, and talking about the situation. So if, 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 uh, for example, my son a couple of years ago was breaking the curfew a lot. And we weren't happy about it, you know. So we had to talk to him about, you know, why we set the curfew and and why it's important that you do this and how how do you understand it from our point of view? What is your point of view? You know, and so it kind of became this like conversation where if you are gonna be late, just let us know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like communicate, keep the communicate. line of communication open. Yeah. yeah, text us, let us know. Most likely, I mean, we're not going to say anything. I mean, unless it's like some really stupid reason. But for the most part, right. okay, you're running late. Great, just let us know that. Because yeah. it's worse if you come home an hour late and we don't know where you anything. are or what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we had similar navigations with our young adults who had been away to college or out of college and are now living home because of the pandemic. And you know, I don't want to impose on my 24-year-old. She's mm-hmm. living her life, but she's living in my house. And if she's right. not coming home or coming home late, I, I want to know. And that's right. fair. And we had similarly good conversations to sort of navigate their independence with our need to mm-hmm. manage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Nikki, as I promised, I knew we were going to 
start running up against time and want more, more, more. And we still have a little time left, but I want to take a moment to let you share with people how they can find out more about you. How can how can people reach you? Sure. So you can find uh, everything at my website, which is at takecontroladhd.com. It has my coaching services. It has the online courses that I offer, all of the podcasts, uh, episodes, and where you can find the podcast. And also we have a blog as well that coordinates with what we're talking about in the podcast that week. So you can find all of that there. So that's probably the best place to go. Awesome. <laughs> so take control ADHD.com. Yes. yes. Awesome. Awesome. So, okay. So now we get to go back and continue our conversation, but Great. you know, commercial breaks are very important. We have to have those. Yes. <laughs> um, so what would you like people to take away from today? What are we, I, I'm trying to get a sense of like, this conversation is really about you know, it's not just about organizing and coaching, but it's right. about, you know, how do we navigate important conversations to stay connected to our kids? Mm-hmm. Right. So listening, you know, really listen to what your kids are saying. And I think that if they're coming to you, and they may not, like my my daughter came down the stairs one day in September of 2019 and said, Mom, I think I have ADHD. <laughs> I'm like, I love really? this story. Okay, why? Uh, You know, she named off it. Well, one of the biggest things is she noticed that one of her friends was doing something in 20 minutes that was taking her two hours. Mm -hmm. Great awareness. Well, Well, and she had the wisdom to, you know, the information to know what it would be. Yes, yes. Because if she was your daughter. Yeah. Right, right. And she took the test. You know, she's a big Googler. She likes to self-diagnose herself. So she she took the test and, you know, oh, she passed. Yay. But I think it's it's (laughs) listening. Because even if you're somebody that doesn't know a lot about ADHD, and your kid doesn't know a lot about ADHD, and you don't even know this is what it is, something's not quite right. And that's what you need to pay attention to. So if you notice that they're struggling, or they're saying, this is taking me so long, and I don't really understand what the teacher's saying the first time, or I find myself daydreaming, or whatever it is that that, that child is experiencing, because they're not going to say that they have ADHD. ADHD. They don't know, right? Now, if you have ADHD, you can really start paying attention to what some of those things are that they say, because then you can pick up on maybe this is what it is. But definitely listen, because that's I think that's the biggest thing. And it's not even with ADHD, because both of my kids have dealt with depression and anxiety. And we also have to listen to, to that too, when noticing when they're feeling down, noticing when they're isolating themselves, noticing when they're their bad mood is more than just being a teenager. You know, mm-hmm. you can, t- I could tell that there was something deeper going on. So I think it's just really paying attention and listening to them and having conversations with them and stay involved with them, know who their friends are, you know, all so, of that. So you were talking about that conversation Ross Green had at the conference we went to many years mm-hmm. ago. One of the other things he said in that conference and that presentation was, and he talks about a lot, is that behaviors are a symptom. Mm-hmm. And if we stop seeing behaviors as a problem and we start seeing them as a symptom, then we can begin to explore what what is the, a symptom of. It may be a symptom of something diagnosable like ADHD or anxiety or depression. It could be a symptom of I'm unhappy or my friend, you know, I'm having a breakup with my friend. Like, yeah. who knows what it's a symptom of? But if we see it as a symptom, we're more likely to see them as needing our help and support instead of being naughty and difficult and disrespectful or lazy or, you know, whatever language we ascribe to it that's not really true. 
Yes, it's absolutely right. So listen for those symptoms yep. is kind of what I'm hearing from you. Listen yes. to them as symptoms. Mm-hmm. Super. All right. Well, it's time to begin to close the conversation, sadly, oh. but but I've enjoyed it as always, as Thank I always do. Thank you so much you. for having me. <laughs> Truly a pleasure. So our guest has been Nikki Kinzer, and we're going to ask one more thing before mm-hmm. we close up today, our final little fun wrap. Do you have a favorite quote or motto that you'd like to share with, with our community? I do. It is one of my favorite quotes, and I share this with my clients all the time. Courage does not always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm going to ask you to say it again because it's it's beautiful. Courage does not always roar. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, I will try again tomorrow. I love that. Courage is the quiet voice. It's beautiful. And that's a that's a great reminder for all of us as we're parenting with complex kids is that not only do we want to muster the courage to get up and do it again tomorrow, because some days it can be really hard, oh, but yes. also to really call on that courage of our kids to realize mm-hmm. that sometimes their roaring, mm-hmm. you know, may need us to, to pull out a way to empower them in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah. You think about all that overstimulation, all of those, that noise in their heads. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be kids Mm -hmm. with complex issues. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just one more thing because we're here and it's coming up. I was thinking about, we're taping this interview around the time of the Olympics in 2021. And I've been thinking a lot about what happened with Simone Biles this week and Mm -hmm. the courage that it took for her not Amazing. to roar right out onto the screen, but to to step back and say, this isn't safe for me mm-hmm. and how profound that is. And really what mm-hmm. we want for our kids is to guide them to be able to take care of themselves, whatever that is. Absolutely. I'm glad you bring that up because yes, I was, I was thinking about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. My daughter said something to me last night. I'm like, I wrote her a letter. Or, okay. I wrote it on Facebook or mm-hmm. LinkedIn or whatever, but I wrote it because I really, I felt like she needed to be acknowledged mm-hmm. for, cause you know, there's all this noise out there, but to stand up and say, I got to take care of myself, even if, at the cost of one of my greatest life dreams, that's a yeah. huge juicy no. Yes. And a hard thing is. to learn to do. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing story and give her so much credit for what she is going through. Yeah. True, true. All Mm -hmm. right. All right. So again, our guest has been Nikki Kinzer and you can find more about her at takecontroladhd.com. Nikki, thank you as always for your insights, your wisdom, and your fabulously positive attitude. (laughs) Thank you. And um, to the rest of you, thanks for all you're doing for your kids and for yourself. Remember, you're making a difference. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.